the statistics that we hear today is about troubled youth, especially boys, that those that are in trouble, one of the statistics go along and that the fact that there is no father in the home. I, I read a statistic the other day of Chicago of how many games, I forget how many thousand games are there. But one of the reasons that, that, that when they interview some of these kids and ask them, why are you part of this game, they will tell you because many times that there, there's no support system in their home. They're looking for somebody to give them guidance. They're looking for somebody to give them simply a hope and a help. You know, your child in, in, in what he wants from you more than anything else is your time. And you, you know, you think about it. I know that many times, I, I mean, I know my, my family, my dad, my uncles were the ones. I know they tried to do, they wanted their life, my life to be better than their life. But that's not it. That's not what really what we all need. Your child is Take him out and play in the dirt somewhere. Not to put him on a, a team or something. And all those things are good. I'm, I'm not, you know, and, I, and I, I really look back on my life and I probably made some mistakes about putting my kids in some of the things that they did because I wore them out some ways. But that's not, that's not really it. I, you just want your time. And it doesn't mean that you have to prepare something. It means simply that you, you just spend time alone with him and you talk about things and I know that there are mothers out there that are raising their kids on their own, and I praise God for them. But I really believe with all my heart and soul there are things that only a dad can instill in their children. I mentioned Dr. Robert McGee before, but he, he wrote the book, in, he wrote another book that was entitled Father Hunger. And believe that within every young person, both boys and girls, there's a hunger for a dominant, loving male in their lives. One of the things that I had to discover when I wanted to be, and I'm saying this to you fathers, that one of the things that I had to, when I wanted to be the father to my children that they needed, that, that I had to be complete, that I had to be happy. If I was always depressed, if I was always down all the time, it would carry over to them, that I had to show them something that, that you know, that, and I'm not talking about being selfish, but if I'm not complete in my life, then how in the world can I be complete and my children be complete in their life? There are too many. There's this idea, I'm going to drop my kids off at church, and they're going to be taken care of. They'll get all the religion or whatever they need there, and that'll take care of things. That is from the pit of hell. If they don't see you living out Christ in your life, why in the world would they want it if you don't need it? That's the difference. And so when I think about this, you know, that in other words, not to say a testimony, but be a testimony. Now, I know there's some bad dads out there. And maybe, maybe you feel like you've screwed up. And maybe you feel like that you haven't been there like you should. But, but let me just say this. I want to talk to those who, who want to be a good father but are struggling in this culture that tumbles. But I want to talk to you also. Sometimes sit down and read the sixth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. For the Lord gives us five things that every dad should do. Now, I'm not going to give you ten steps of being a good dad. I'm not, I'm not about that this morning. No, for what I want to give more than anything else is rest to you. Is that not what we all need? In this crazy, mixed-up, 
ungodly world that we're living in right now, more than anything else, I need peace and I need rest in my life more than anything else. So I, so I want to give you more than anything else rest. That's right, rest. So in chapter 11, this is a new message from Jesus. Uh, and, and, he, and in this, he lists five places that he said that if the same things he did in those places, if he had done those, what he did in those places, if the same things had been done in places like Sodom and Gomorrah, he said Sodom and Gomorrah would repent it. But he's rolling to those places because they did not believe. So in chapter 11, what we're seeing in the message in Israel is rejecting Jesus as king. Jesus now turns from the rejection of the nation of Israel and offers not to the not to kingdom, but offers rest and service to all who in conscious need need him and need his help. Did you hear what I just said? That all who in conscious need need his help. You see, Jesus said in Luke that that five thirty one he answered and said, Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. We got a sick world, guys. And let me just say to you, we're doing things today that are sick. When we all of a sudden are starting to approve pedophilia, come on. When when we're having sixty million babies that are being destroyed and we and we got people standing up and talking about women's rights and all this other kind of thing and doing that, let me tell you something. We're sick and we need help. And the problem that we face today is that we feel we have no need of Jesus. And how we live our lives, how we live independent of Him, proves that we, we, that we don't need Him, that we think we don't need Him, when in reality we cannot take a breath without Him. If you truly rest, the first priority is to realize your need of rest. God gave us the Sabbath, uh, you know, and the Sabbath is Saturday. The Seventh-day Adventists got it right, that's Saturday. But Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. Jesus, not only that, but they broke bread on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. But more important than even that, the Bible teaches us because of the grace of God, God works, 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 and works for six days, and then He rested on the last day. What's the difference in today? Because what God wants us to do through the grace of God, He wants us to come to a place on the first day of the week that we rest. And because of that rest and what the Holy Spirit's doing inside of us, now we go out to work. That's the difference. But yes, they got it right. But look what we've done with Sunday. Now Sunday's just another day. We don't... And, the whole, he, and God tells us, He said, the Sabbath... That man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. He, he wants you to rest. We never rest. We're continually moving. We're continually doing things. And we never come to the place that we just feel a peace inside. And so Jesus, Israel is rejecting him, and now he comes, he comes to he comes individually. So if you you know that if you truly want to rest, the first priority is realize your need. And so man. Matthew 11 is a pivotal moment in the ministry of Jesus. And he mentions all these cities, and at the start of Jesus' ministry, it was a public ministry. He went to everybody. 
In Luke 15, he said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear what he says. And then you come right into 15, or 14, chapter 14, the last part, and you come right into 15, and what does it say? It says the tax collectors and the sinners were gathered to him. Who was that? That's the people who had ears that wanted to hear. We really don't want to hear this. We really don't want to hear what Christ is trying to say to us today. So, in Matthew 12, the Pharisees come to him and they, they accuse Jesus of performing miracles by the power of Beelzebub or the devil. And thus comes about the unpardonable sin. And as a result of that, from, the time, from that time on, Jesus now, when he spoke, he speaks in parables. He no longer has a public ministry. He's now going to individuals. And he says over in Matthew 13, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And verse 11 says, He answered and said to them, Because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. You see, Revelation 3.20 says, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hears my voice and will open the door, I will come in unto him and sup with him and he with me. The shame of all that is, is that the last church, that's the church of Laodicea in the seven churches, the first church is Ephesus. And the Bible says that Jesus walked among the candlesticks. What does that mean? It means He was in the midst of those people. He was in the midst of that church. What happens to the last church? That church, He says, the rich increased with goods and they had no need of nothing. He is now standing on the outside and He's knocking and asking to come into the church today. I'm not for sure if that's not the church in America today. That Jesus is asking, can I come in? I'm not for sure if that's not the homes that we have today. That He's asking in your home and my home, can I come in? Is He not asking that in lives even today? Is He asking in lives as He does that? He's asking whether or not can I come in and have complete, absolute control of your life. Because when I do, I'm going to give you peace like you've never experienced before. I'm going to give you rest like you've never done that before. Listen, the Lord will not force Himself on anybody. You can have the option of living your life independent of Christ. And there's a lot of people. Well, I do a lot of funerals and I've had people, I've gone to a lot of families and say, tell me something about this person. Well, he loved NASCAR. What do you do with that? The problem is, if I, I can live my life independent of Jesus and never come to Him, but the whole point of it is, if I don't do that, then I'm going to face the circumstances of coming later on. You see, part of the problem that we got is the very reason that we don't feel like we have a need of Him, but as Jesus said, they their whole need our physician, is that we don't fear Him. But we don't fear Him because we don't think we have a need of Him. Once I come to the place that I understand I have a need of Him, then I begin to fear Him. And so the Lord, independent of Christ, his faith, he, 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 will not, he will not force His way into your life. You don't want Him? Okay. You, know, you want to live your life independent? Good. Go ahead. Have you ever wondered why it is in those moments when things begin to slow down and you're not rushing up, and all of a sudden you start having these thoughts? And you start taking those thoughts and just trying to shove them away? origin. Your origin came from Him. He, you were created by a loving Heavenly Father. What's your purpose? Your purpose is to bring glory and honor to Him. And what's your destination today? Your destination is that one of these days I'm going to die. And when I do, the Bible says to be absent in this body is to be present with the Lord. 
Jesus said, where I am, there you may be also. I'm ready to go home. Amen? We look at rest as being optional. And no wonder we're so tired. So I, so I want this morning to talk to those fathers who are responsible that you have concerns that you feel anxieties about the economy, being able to keep your job and provide for your family. And we've never seen a time that things are just so, you know, so just mixed up and we can't count on anything. And yet the Word of God tells me that one of the attributes of God, not only is all He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and all those things, but He's also immutable. You know what the word immutable means? It means He never changes. I'm the same yesterday and today and forever. So when I put my trust and hope in Him, I can count on what He says. He says, my word is forever settled in the heavens. He said that, that, that my word will not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I set it out to do. In other words, whatever God says, He says in Titus 1 verse 2, He says, I don't lie. Aren't you tired of being lied to? I am. So come to Jesus. I want to talk to those men who are worried about the influence upon their children and their future. We look at this. We look at what we're now up to 19 trillion, or ever how much it's gone to now in, our, in, in the debt of this country. And I hear people over and over again say the same thing: Our children are going to have to pay for that. Our children are going to have to. Well, what does that mean? What's it going to do to their life? But also, I want to say to those who feel like you messed up. And you, and you now are having to face consequences. I want to talk to those fathers today who feel like they messed up and they didn't give the time to their children they should have or whatever else. I want to simply say that God can fix that. Because my Father in Heaven is out of time and space, He can do things just like that. Amen? I mean, all you got to do is look at His first miracle. His first miracle in Canaan, Galilee, what was that about? Well, you, you, everybody knows if you ever drank any wine or whatever else, that the wine has to take so long to ferment, do all the kind of stuff for it. Jesus did it one day. And he took foot baths to make it in. And they all talked about how good it was. Just like that he did. You know what? He can do the very same thing in your life. Because the Bible says over in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 25, So I will restore to you years of swarming locusts as eat and calling locusts, consuming locusts, and the chewing locusts, my great army I sent among you. What does he say to you? He can restore those years to you if you'll put him first in your life and if you will allow him to have his way in your life now. It won't be easy. You have to do some things. You may have to go to your kids and simply say to them, Hey, man, I just want to say to you, I screwed up. I should have been there. I wasn't. This happened, and I, and I shouldn't be there. You know, I know, I know what you feel like. You know. I've had feelings when I had my kids there, and I've had to go to work. I had to go to work. I had no choice. But my heart was there. I know what your heart is there. And, and, and the work that you're doing at that time is not your regular eight-hour shift work. No, the work that you're doing right now is that second job or that third job that you're trying just to make it with you. I know what it's like to feel that. So I especially want to talk to those men who are just tired and worn out and feel you just can't take another step. I want to give you a word to the weary. In the 1930s, one of the most mystifying missing person cases in FBI files, after spending an evening eating out, a 45-year-old judge 
killed a pastor and was never seen again or heard from. The FBI suspected a kidnapping by someone who held judicial grudge against him or the mafia because he'd been very outspoken against them. To this day, there's only one clue that remains. When this wife returned home, there was on the table was a check for a large sum of money and a note which simply said, I'm very, very tired. Love, Jeff. Was it the key? Was it the key? Or was it the weirdness of the person? Is your soul tired? Are you, you, you're tired? I'm not talking about physical fatigue. I'm retiring yourself from physical activity. I'm talking about weariness that comes from life itself. That life just wears you down. Well, let me say this to you. If you're the average weight and height, here's what you go through in 24-hour period. Like this is a one of them. Heartbeat. 103,689 times. Your blood will travel 168 million miles as your heart pumps four ounces per day. You'll breathe 23,040 times, inhaling 438 cubic feet of air. Your stomach will take in 3.5 pounds of food and 2.9 quarts of liquid. You will lose 7 eighths of a pound of weight. Anyway, um, men will speak 4,800 words, <laughs> and women, 7,000. So let me just say this to you. When you've had a hard day at work, and you come home, she's still got 2,200 words left that she's wanted to sit, you sit down and talk to her about that she's got to get rid of. You also move 750 muscles and exercise 7 million brain cells. No wonder we get tired. But the greatest kind of weariness comes when a person just doesn't know that they can do it. The weariness that a wife feels when a husband has rejected her, or a husband feels when a wife has rejected him. But there's one who says in Matthew 11, verse 28, this is what he says, Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Come to me. How we ought to appreciate that. God and the Lord of the universe invites anyone who's weary to come to Him. You know, and the Bible says over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, it's interesting to me that it says this first. It says, there's a rest for the people of God. Did you know that? Did you know that God is saying to you, there's a rest for you? Okay, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm tired. I'm worn out. Doing all this. And God's saying, okay, right here, there's a rest for you. But I, I got to, uh, there's a rest for you. There's a rest for you. And it's interesting to me that in the third chapter of the book of Hebrews, what it says over there in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 11, 
what it says there. It says that God, he's talking about the children of Israel going into the promised land. And God says, Therefore I was angry with that generation and said they will always go astray in the heart and they have not known my ways. And then he says this in verse 11, So I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter into my rest. He didn't say they shall not go into the promised land. No, he said they, were, they won't enter into my rest. And then he comes over to chapter 4 in Hebrews. In chapter 4 in Hebrews, verses 9 uh, through 11, here's what he says. He says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. And listen to this. Here's how you get to that rest, verse 10. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his own works as God did from his. And then verse 11, it says, therefore let us labor, be diligent to enter into that rest. Least anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. God's saying to you, Child, come to me, come to me, and get to a place that you just lay in my arms and quit trying to be to get to be approved by me. Just come to Jesus is what he's trying to say. That's what he's telling you. Quit trying to please everybody. Quit trying to do all the things. Quit trying to be a people pleaser. Quit trying to get so many things on Facebook, thumbs up, and all this kind of stuff. You're going to make your life miserable as a as a. As a just be yourself and let him come to me, he says, and I, I'm going to give you rest. But the diligent, he says, they that have entered his rest, he says, have ceased from their own work. Let us be diligent. I've got to work at it. Yes, work at just not letting other things in life come in and crowd him out. See, that was the whole story of Mary and Martha. When Martha was in the kitchen, the pots and pans banging everything because where's Mary? She's sitting down there at the feet of Jesus. She's listening to what Jesus does. And Martha's in there. She's saying, Martha, I'm just saying, Mary, Mary, oh Mary, Mary, Mary! That's what she's saying. She's saying, I need some help in here. You know, what does Jesus say to her? He says, Martha, Martha, thou art cumbered and worried about what? Many things. Are you cumbered and worried about many things today because you've got so many things going that you can't have rest? You don't have a minute to, to yourself. Everything else is going on. He said, Martha, Martha, thou cumbered and worried about many things, but Mary has chosen that better part. What's, what's the first part? To sit at His feet every day and say, Lord, I'm here. What do you got for me, Lord? Why do we not rest? Because we don't start our day off with Him every day. We don't come to a place that we allow Him to have a first place. Understand that it is at that point where Israel is rejecting Jesus' invitation to make Him king. Consequently, no longer is Jesus speaking to a nation corporately, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I, and I thought, is God still speaking to America today? Is God that quick took His hand off Israel because they would not come? What's He doing to us today and all the things we see out there that are happening? When a man stands on the floor of Congress and says, the Bible has no meaning here in this office. Well, that's not what this country was founded upon. You know what's at the peak? You know what's at the peak of the Washington Monument? At the, the highest point of all those 40 acres around Washington, D.C., and the, Washington, the monument of Washington at the very top, and in the middle up there, you know what's on the top of it? It says this, Glory to God! Look at some of the letters that George Washington wrote, some of the other people. You know, 
don't see that when people might stand around and say, oh, this country wasn't founded to be a Christian nation. Don't give me that kind of bullshit. So Jesus was rejected. You know? He's still, I believe he's still speaking impersonally to people like he's maybe speaking to somebody today to come to him. But I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know that he's speaking to America now. He's speaking to individuals personally. And he's saying to them in verse 29, he said, Take your yoke upon me, learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest into your soul, is what he's saying. Listen, Jesus was rejected, and would you have called that group of people? No, I'm not sure I would have. He's saying, Come to me, all you who are laboring and weary and pressed at the point of death, depression, because of divorce, because of discouragement. I would have said, Come to me, all you that are happy. Come to me, all you that are rich. I would have said, No, Jesus' invitation was to anyone who was weary. Come to me. Come to me. Now, there's some people in here that are weary because of guilt. And because of false guilt. Maybe you've done some things. But let me tell you something. If you've come to Jesus, it's gone. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is now no more condemnation to those in Christ. I don't care what you've done. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. He's taking care of it. Why do you go back and celebrate those sins in the past that you are now ashamed of? Why do you listen to the devil when Jesus has taken care of it and nailed it to the cross of Calvary? What do you do that for? Rejoice in Him. I would have gathered me some people together to really could have helped me, I guess. No, Jesus' invitation was to anyone who was weary, come to me, come to me, come to me. And he does the very same thing today. today. God has a habit of gathering up rejections of the desire. He does that. David running from Saul over in Second First uh, Samuel chapter 22, verse 2. Listen like this. Here it is. If you have these groups of people, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented, gathered to him, so he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. All the rejects came. Listen, Jesus loves rejects. He loves people that screwed up. Amen? Amen. I, I love to get some people that are sort of legalistic sometimes in, in their religion, and they, they're really like this, you know. We're, we're really religious. And I love to get them in a group sometime and get some of these people that, uh, you know, that just came to Jesus and they're sitting in the crowd and all of a sudden this person speaks up to them. And you know what? After my third wife and I had gotten out of prison at that time, everybody, you know, like this, you know what? Because that's the kind of people that the Lord loves. Amen? Now, He loves you just as much. And there's something to be said for living a life that is pure and holy. Yes! But he will take anyone that will come to him. Jesus didn't say, run to me. So often in our weariness, we can't run. I can only stumble to him or crawl to him. But that's okay. He said, come. I really believe that when Jesus was carrying that cross, and the Bible says, he, 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 and Jesus carrying his cross, he wasn't carrying his cross, he was carrying my cross. But that cross put him, and as he's trying to carry it up that hill to Calvary, as he does that, that cross pushed him down in the dirt. It pushed my Lord's face right down in the dirt where the men had to go get some and to come over and pick that cross off of him and take it farther. You know, I've always said that God could have made that cross feather light. 
He could have taken that cross and he could have thrown it up there on Calvary and set it up there. He could have done anything he wanted to do that way. So why did he allow that cross to push his face right down in that sand that day? Because he knew that there was going to come a time in your life when you thought you couldn't go on. A time that you couldn't take the next step. And my Lord, there's not any point in your life, there's nothing that you can go through or say, I've been tempted, nobody else knows about it. Nobody knows the things I'm going through. My Lord does. He knows what it's like to not be so tired and worn out that you can't go on. He was beaten and bludgeoned and all those things. But that cross forced him down. He didn't say to the church, he didn't say go to church. Well, the problem you some of you got, you don't go to church. But he didn't say go to the church. He didn't say listen to the sermon. He didn't say read a book. No, he said come to me. Intimate relationship with me. Come to me, all you who labor. What causes us to be weary? I believe the answer is found over in Exodus 5. God's people had come to Egypt for food, and there was plenty of eat, and the whole life was and, and eat, and the whole life was really good. But then the Bible says in Exodus 1:8, but now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said, We've got we've got to control these people. How do we do that? Well, we'll enslave them. So for hundreds of years, the people of God enslaved, were enslaved making bricks in the blistering burning sun for the construction of Pharaoh's monuments is what they did. It's been documented that Israelites packed enough bricks to build a wall ten foot high, five feet wide, or from L.A. to New York City. And when Moses said, let my people go, Pharaoh said, you shall no longer give this people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quarter of bricks of which they made before, but you shall not reduce it for their idol. Therefore they cry out, saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. That's how Satan does it. It's interesting, the Hebrew word labor is the same word Jesus used in Matthew 11. Come to me all you who labor. You sometimes feel you're stuck in making bricks for Pharaoh under a blistering sun. Maybe there's some of you in here, just like me, that had said, I'm going to Egypt. I'm going to labor. I'm going to go get ahead in my career. I'm going to climb the ladder of success. and I'm going to climb that ladder, and then I find out I've got the ladder up against the wrong building. I'm going to work hard, and I will have the car and the house I want. And for a while, it seems enjoyable. got the corner office. You got the raise. You got the job. You got the car. You got the house. You got, you got, you got, you got all these things. And what you discovered once you were there, you looked out and you were at the peak of the mountain, but you look out and you see there's just another mountain. Because those things don't satisfy. Come to me, he said. All you who are weary from labor, all you who have realized Pharaoh is a fake, and Egypt is a rip-off. Come to me, he says. How many times it is when folks reach that goal and we labor and labor until we finally say, isn't this, it, this isn't working in the way I thought it would. I'm miserable. I am tired. What does it mean to be laid? The Bible tells us over in the book of Isaiah, chapter uh, 1, verse 4 and 6, he said, Alas, since the nation keeps laden with iniquity, laden with iniquity, the root of evil who endure children who are instructed. They are forsaken the Lord. They have provoked their anger. The Holy One of Israel, they have turned the place backwards. 1 
crucified and watching him be stricken again, you will revoke more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. Verse 6 says, From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness. Look at this. Wounds and bruises and purified souls. They have not been closed and bound up with sweet ointment. We think we can sin and get away with it, and they don't want to touch it. They want to touch the lies. There's people that are battling pornography right now, and it's affecting you mentally. Or you may not think it is, but it is. That's why the Bible says every sin that a man commits is outside the body, but those are sexual sins is inside the body. It will do something to you. Is there forgiveness? Oh, yes, there is. David went through a, a, a season of sin. Well, listen to what he says over in, in Psalms 38, verse 3 through 8. He says, There is no foundness in my position. Somebody, the Bible says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. And so he says, There is no foundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in, in my bones because of my sin. He goes on, For my iniquities have gone over my head my, uh, like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. They're stifled by wounds of foul and fishery because of my foolishness. And, and I'm troubled. I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. Uh, and, and my loins are full of inflammation. And there is no soundness in my flesh. And in verse 8, I'm feeble and severely broken ground because of the turmoil, because of the turmoil in my, my heart. So he says, when I confess it, I take it to God. Maybe one of the reasons that you don't feel good is because of sin being become a black curse on you. Sin will make you tired. What did Jesus say? Come to me. I'll give you rest. But how do I do that? Here's how. Take my yoke upon you. It's interesting to me that the Greek word carpenter, which is used in Matthew 13, 55, Jesus taught they were astounded. They said, is this not the carpenter's son? The Greek word for carpenter is the word for finishing carpenter rather than a framer. It's, uh, and tradition teaches us that the carpenter shop where Jesus worked was Joseph, that they specialized in making yokes. To, to yoke two oxen together, the skilled carpenter designs the yoke to fit each of the ox individually. Since there was always a lead ox, with one who would follow, the yoke was designed that the lead ox would pull the greater weight and the other ox would just go with the flow. Jesus was saying, yoke with me. Let me be the lead ox. Go with my flow. Let me lead you. Let me, let me lead you if you'll let me do that. But some of us are stubborn. I once heard this. I once heard a, 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 a radio conversation between a ship Americans on this ship are the captain of the ship who flees the virgin port which in Greek is the north to avoid a collision. The radio came back and said, recommend you divert your port which in Greek is south and avoid a collision. Next voice on the said, this is Admiral so-and-so. I demand you, you divert your port 15 degrees to the south. This is Seaman second class. You divert your port 15 degrees to the north. Came back on. This is the captain of the U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. No, I say again, you divert your course. Americans came back and said, This is the aircraft carrier U.S. Abraham Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States electric fleet, and we're accompanied by three destroyers and three cruisers and numerous sports vessels. And I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. 
that's 1-5 degrees north. Our countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Boys came back. This is second, uh, second seaman or whatever said, this is the lighthouse. Your call. Meekness is the strength under control. I see that in my bulldog, Tobias. And, you know, I don't know whether we've got a picture of him or something. Well, anyway, that's what he does all the time, doesn't he? But we can turn him loose and there'll be a lot of little bitty dogs around him and they'll be yapping the thing and he just looks at them. And if they get in his way, he just takes that big paw, his paws are under he takes his paws and knocks them out of the way. That's meekness under control. He can open his mouth and swallow one of them if he wanted to, but he takes that meekness as it hurts me. That's meekness. When you study Scripture and learn of Jesus, you're blown away and amazed at His goodness, His grace, His kindness, His gentleness, and His meekness. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are burned out by Pharaoh. Been wearied by the folly of sin. Yoke with me. Don't try to maneuver me, steer with me, or demand me. Learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly, and the result you'll find rest to your souls. Acts 15, the question arose as to whether the Gentiles should follow the law and rituals of circumcision. Listen to what Peter said. Peter stood up and said, Now therefore, why do we test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor you were able to bear? Yeah, I really believe the book of Hebrews talks about 
dead works. You know what dead works? Anything God didn't need to. Are you doing something that God never told you to do? You go out on the limb by yourself? It could be religion. It could be a lot of things. Did you say, did you pray about it? Did you ask God for it? And did, let me ask you this. Did you say, well, yeah, I prayed about it. Or did you pray, pray one of those prayers right now, I lay me down to sleep, or God is good, God is great, Lord, thank you for it. Did you pray one of those kind of prayers? Or did you really get along with Him and pray and really determine that He's speaking to you and saying to you, this is the way I want you to go. This is Because if you went ahead and did it on your own, then you're doing it on your own. The Lord will give you strength to do it. If what I'm doing is tough and wearisome to me, then it's not the Lord who's placed that burden upon me. His burdens are light. His yoke is easy. Stop and think. Don't become enslaved by the laws of this world. If you do, you'll be weighted down. One of the things I noticed that that uh, the Lord, as, as we study uh, on Tuesday morning, we've been studying Elijah. Elijah, the Bible says, when the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Elijah just stayed at home and people came to him. He never said or did anything except what the Lord told him to do or say. Jesus said, I don't do anything except with what the Father tells me to do. Is that not it? Is that not it? To live life, what I, here's what I think Christianity is, to live life and just go on and live your life. If the Lord tells you to do something, then do it. If He tells you not to do it, then don't do it. That's it. Christianity 101, that's, in, that's how simple it is. If God's telling you to do it, then you better do it. If He's not telling you to do it, then don't do it. Just go on and live life. Enjoy yourself. I'm tired of seeing so many people look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. Prune face and everything else, you know. You ought to be happy. You ought to be joyous because the Lord loves you. He's coming back to get you one of these days. And so this morning, Jesus is saying to you this. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He said this morning. This morning, when you're so worn out and tired, will you come and lay that burden here? Or will you sing one of those gospel songs like that? You know, come and bring your burdens here. Just, just lay it down here and say, Lord, I don't want to carry this anymore. Lord, whatever happens this morning, I'm going to trust you in this. If you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, then you need to come today. And that's the start of it. If you're here today and, you, and you're still battling past sins and things, I'm, I'm saying that if you've really come to Jesus and He's forgiven you, it's gone. But Satan wants to re- resurrect all those things. Don't let him do that to you. Don't let him do that to you. Jesus is paid for it. Why should you think about it when Jesus is paid for it? You know, when you buy a car and they give it to you, don't say the car's been paid for. Do you just go back and say, you know what? I think I just want to keep on paying for this thing. And you send them, you send them a check every month. You do the very same thing. Is that what you do? No. Why? You say, no, I ain't going to do that. Why? It's been paid for. Well, your sins have been paid for. If you've come to Jesus and you've given your heart to Him, why are you still having Him do that to you? Don't let that happen. So we sing this verse of invitation. It's an invitation to those.